Would you join me in prayer? Loving God, God of light perpetual, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of all our hearts be truly acceptable in your sight. To you we pray, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We very rarely have a passage from the book of Revelation in this church. It is a book that many of us find scary or off-putting or arcane or difficult or any of the above. It is a book that has been interpreted by many people for its fearsome elements, visions of fire and pits of hell. It is a fantastic book, a book of revelation, something that was revealed to John of Patmos as he encountered the living God. As we just heard, a wonderful vision interpreted usually to think of looking out over the Gentiles who have been joined in heaven. And the person looking at them says, who are these robed in white and where have they come from? And I said to him, sir, you are the one that knows. And then the elder said to me, they are the ones who have come out of the great ordeal. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to springs of the water of life and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Now, the notion of All Saints Day, as you might have read in my blog this week, is something that came about many centuries after John of Patmos read these, wrote these words. It was a day that actually some believe co-opted a pagan festival of trying to calm the restless spirits of the dead. Roman Catholics, as they took over Europe, were very good at taking other people's customs and making them Christian customs. That's the whole reason we have Christmas on December 25th, which was originally a celebration of the god of Saturn. And John's project is, we are looking at Revelation as reading All Saints Day onto it, this vision of the saints lined out in front of us, all in white, with palm branches, showing the victory of life everlasting over earthly death. Now John's project in the book of Revelation can be boiled down by some commentators to not being consumed by the struggles of this life, the ordeal of the present situation, but to focus on a future life, a life we might grow into, a life that God might have in store for us. You may know when we talk at memorials and when we sing Requiem Masses, as we'll hear an excerpt from later in this service, that we talk about that light perpetual that effuses the heavenly kingdom a light that we should help break into this life. It's the sort of light that I think we are looking at when we say the Lord's Prayer, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm very curious about how it is that you and I bring more of that light into this life, how we let it shine in our own lives. And I believe that All Saints Day is a time when we focus on that. It's a time when we gather the assembled company of heavenly folks around us, in our memories, in our hopes, in photographs, and in mementos, it is in some ways a big family reunion of the faithful in Christianity. 
I believe that you and I bring that light about one act at a time, one relationship at a time, one random act of kindness and senseless act of beauty of a time. Now, some of us know, some of the saints, we have for several months recited excerpts of St. Francis' prayer. St. Francis, the wonderful, kind, calm soul who took a vow of poverty, who lived at peace with the animals, who called on Brother Sun and Sister Moon, in whose name our current Pope takes his name as the holy bishop of the Roman Catholic Church. Or we may know of St. Teresa of Avila, that wonderful mystic who had great visions of God, who went into ecstatic contemplation, something beyond the very sensate life that we have here on earth. St. Teresa of Avila, when she was dumped in a ditch in the mud, and God, she heard God say, this is what my friends do for me, she looked up on God and said, perhaps that's why you have so few friends. We can go on and recite the saints, hundreds of saints canonized by the church, remembered in the names of our churches, just like our own founding, St. Mark's Methodist Church. We know of the gospel writers who tried to bring the light of Jesus' life so that we might know it, or the Apostle Paul, all of them made saints. What they were noted for is that they loved God, perhaps more than they loved anything else. They were not perfect. They did not have easy lives. They were, as the writer of Revelation would say, those who have survived the ordeal, some of them to great persecution as we heard about in the Beatitudes, but who kept that love until the end of their earthly life, and we pray into light perpetual. The Protestant tradition of All Saints Day has often been to remember those who have died in the last year, those who have crossed that door onto the other side and escaped this earthly death. As I say at memorials all the time, we don't know for sure what happens as we cross that door, but we have lots of ideas about what exactly happens. I believe that we do continue to live in an eternal, soulful way in the light of God, and those who've gone beyond and come back to tell about it bring some good news back to us. I also am aware that when people die, we sometimes eulogize them in ways that overlook their flaws and hold up their virtues, which I think is a pretty good human tendency. And yet I wonder what it is about the purity and harmony of divine light perpetual on the other side that may shine back to us. How is it that you and I help God's will be done and what are the examples we have? Now, those of you who've heard me preach on All Saints before know that one of my favorite places is a little church in the Prochero Hill neighborhood of San Francisco named after a fourth century bishop of Asia Minor named St. Gregory of Nyssa. Several years ago, they began looking at ancient medieval practices and how to incorporate them into their church structure. And one of the things they love about St. Gregory of Nyssa that in a meditation on one of the Psalms, he imagined a harmonious vision of all the world's people, not just singing together, but actually dancing together. And this, of course, was at a time when, as continues, many religious people thought dancing was purely libidinous and should be avoided at all costs. And so while he, other preachers decried popular dancing and music in general, he kept it alive. And in that church, they have a big mural which is all around their communion space of 90 different saints, painted by a modern iconographer. 
You see, St. Gregory of Nyssa held that every human can progress toward God, toward that light. Indeed, to stop our progress is already to move away from God. And St. Gregory of Nyssa reminded us that all of us in humanity share God's image, and we show it to the universe so that all of us together might move toward God. As one of the founders of the church said, one of the ideas of sainthood comes from both the Bible and Gregory's books. The Hebrew concept of holiness originally didn't have any moral content. It just meant that God simply had a stamp on you. It's the same sort of thing we do at baptism, to mark ourselves as God's own. And as the Bible sees it, saints and sinners are the same people. So how did they come up with these 90 saints that surround their communion space where they actually dance the communion every Sunday? They took 350 nominations in good modern church style from among the people. They sifted through the stories and they came up with 90 saints, traditional figures like King David, Teresa of Avila and Francis of Assisi, but also unorthodox and non-Christian people like Malcolm X and Anna Frank, Thurgood Marshall, and the sociologist Margaret Mead. Musicians, artists, mathematicians, martyrs, scholars, mystics, lovers, prophets and sinners from all times, from many faiths and backgrounds. Now on the cover of your order of worship, there's a piece of this mural shown for you. We showed a different piece last year, but I just wanted to walk you through the variety of saints just in this one portion, one ninth of the saints. I don't expect you to remember all the things I'm going to tell you about these people, but you might drop in with some who resonate with your life. On the far left, you will see William Byrd, who is a 16th century composer for the Roman Catholic Church and later for the early Anglican Church. He's the one who came up with this deeply moving of tradition of Anglican choral music that we continue to hear and inspired composers and religious music all over Christendom. The next person to him is the only living saint on their walls, Desmond Tutu, who is now in his 86th year. If you've ever encountered him, you know that he has a kettle of joy perpetually simmering in his soul. He was given the Nobel Peace Prize in 1984 for his staunch resistance to apartheid, but perhaps most remarkably, he headed South Africa's Truth and Reconciliation Commission, always counseling forgiveness rather than revenge for past injustice. Next to him is someone I had never heard of, the Alexandrian washerwoman, there with her veil. In the fourth century, there were these desert fathers and mothers who started the tradition of monasticism, wandering and living in the deserts of Egypt. And this anonymous, ordinary woman ceaselessly prayed at her work. They noticed her, they wrote about her, they never recorded her name. She could be like any person you encounter on the street, mumbling prayers to themselves, or in some sort of sacred devotion going in and out of the margins of our lives. Next to her, wearing that fez-like hat, is Thomas Aquinas, the great 16th century theologian who was convinced of the goodness of all creation, who believed that truth unfolds in time through a communal process. He's one who we credit with beautifully fusing together faith and reason. He called theology the queen of the sciences, the chief way we try to understand life. He's one of the teachers 
that the next saint to him, the one with the crown of laurels, Dante, saw dancing before God in his final version of paradise. And there we have Dante, who, like John of Patmos, was blessed by God with a powerful imagination. This medieval Florentine poet told a story of his own soul's journey going through hell and purgatory and heaven, wandering blind and in despair, and then later in an extraordinary vision of dancing saints, encircling the love which moves from the sun and other stars. Generations of people have taken their own soulful journey through Dante's writings. Next to him is a young woman who lived at the early part of the 20th century, Manche Masemola, She lived in Sekukuniland, in northeast part of South Africa, and she wanted to be baptized. But her parents were staunchly against it. At age 18, she would go to class again and again, only to be beaten for her efforts. One day, her family dragged her out of their hut and by turns flogged her until she died. And as she had predicted to her priest, she was baptized with her own blood. At St. Gregory of Nyssa, they honor her single-minded desire to know and love God against all odds. Next to her is the prophet Isaiah, who lived eight centuries before Jesus was born, who preached to people in the exile, telling them that their relationship with God was important. He had a heavenly vision that the wolf would lie down with the lamb, the leopard would lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. We read about this every Christmas Eve to remind us of his heavenly vision. Next to him is the Kangxi Emperor. Though not himself a Christian, he decreed tolerance for Christian faith and preaching in the 17th century. He built churches. He wrote poetry about the passion of Christ. He had a generous interfaith spirit about him, and we might do well to encounter the same appreciation, understanding, and goodwill toward those of other faiths and those with no faith. Next to him on his right is Roland Allen, an Anglin missionary in East Africa in the early part of the 20th century, who was a controversial critic of the existing order, seeking to change drastically the paternalism of colonialism and the way that missionaries did their work. He wanted to restore the pattern that he saw in Paul's missionary work, just to simply preach the good news, raise up local leadership, trust them with power, and move on. And finally, next to him with his saxophone is the great jazz musician of the 20th century, John Coltrane. You may not know this, but Coltrane's faith in God was a powerful healing force for him to overcome his addiction to heroin. And his seminal album, A Love Supreme, testifies of God's omnipotence and the power to remake us. He dedicated his music to God saying, let us all sing songs to God. Now, I don't know who you identify with there in that list, but I imagine there's some part of your own soul interwoven with those souls in that iconography. As the Anglican hymn says, they were all of them saints of God And we might do well, God helping, to be one too. All of them came through the ordeal of this life, the fears and preoccupations, the shadows and demons that haunted them, illnesses and character flaws they had to overcome, financial matters and family matters, mistakes they maybe made again and again and had to learn from. But as you and I walk through this 
ordeal of earthly life, and hopefully some of us don't always think of it as an ordeal, I wonder what advice the saints who surround us, whose spirits we may feel in this room or in our memories or in our hearts or on this table, what they might advise us about how we should go. Or perhaps even to make it more personal, what's the advice we might give ourselves? How might we live our lives from the vantage point of our earthly death when we cross that door into the fullness of light perpetual? I wonder, would we worry less about the small nagging things and focus more on the big picture? Would we practice gratitude more often? Would we choose to smile and to laugh more, to seek out the things that instill and reinvigorate our deep kettle of joy? Would we make our decisions about our life, our vocation, our money, our voting patterns, and our livelihood based on how much our actions will increase human happiness or whether they will increase human suffering of the neighbors that Jesus calls us to love? I wonder if the saints would ask us or encourage us to take more risks, to go on more adventures. Would we play more and work less or maybe just simply be more playful in our work? I believe these are the kinds of questions that John of Patmos, that Dante Alighieri, that Thomas Aquinas, that Desmond Tutu, that John Coltrane, that Massimola, St. Teresa, all of them might ask us. You and I have saints who have touched our lives, some of them living, some of them dead, none of them perfect, all of them like us, sinners in their own right. And in a moment, we will call out the names as printed in our order of worship, and you were invited to say names out loud. I invite you to call the pictures to mind, to remember the ways the light shone in their lives, and perhaps picture ourselves on some sort of road race in this earthly life, where the rest of the saints are on the sidelines, just like the Boston Marathon, cheering us on, toward that light perpetual, letting it shine in us and around us, that you and I might live into the promise of that day where all people will hunger no more and thirst no more, where the sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat, when God will be at the center as our shepherd and will guide us to springs of the water of life and wipe away every tear from our eyes. Amen.